3: Welcome everybody to the Main Street Vegan Show. So happy to have you with us today. I do need to let you know that we are doing a pre-record so we won't be taking any calls today, but we are continuing with giving away every single week until we come back after Christmas vacation. We come back and... Early 2015, we're giving away a weekly membership in the American Vegan Society that includes a subscription to American Vegan Magazine. Now, this week, since we cannot take callers, We're still continuing with that because somebody called near the end of a show a couple of weeks back, so we are giving that person the American Vegan Society membership today. But please tune in with us live on Wednesdays. That's 2 o'clock Central Time, and you can figure east or west from that. If you ever want to join us live, although I know it's wonderful to be having us saved on a podcast so you can just walk on the treadmill or walk your dog and get a little vegan info while you're at it. Happy to have you with us however and whenever you listen. I'll just let you in on a couple of things that I know of that are happening this week in the vegan world. This evening... I'm going to one of those fancy vegan parties. Oh, my gosh. I never thought that I would move to New York City at the age of 50 so that I could start going to fancy parties. But that's part of what's happened. And the celebration this evening is part of of New York Fashion Week, and it's for one of my favorite people on the planet. We have not yet had him on the show. I don't really know why. We need to get to that. And he is Joshua Catcher. If you don't know Joshua... His blog is the Discerning Brute, and this is a blog for men who are waking up, men who are really, really getting it. In fact, our show last week—if you haven't caught that one yet—we had John Joseph, that he's the lead singer for the Cromags, and we also had John Schlim, who's author of the Ultimate beer lovers happy hour. So we had a kind of guy show going on. You can find that on Unity Online Radio or on iTunes or however you access this show. But Joshua Catcher with The Discerning Brute has been reaching out to men for a really long time. And these are kind of the Vanity Fair kind of men, men who are interested in art and culture and fashion, because Joshua's other hat is that he is a fashion designer and a fashion academic. Ooh, I said that right. He teaches at Parsons, teaches sustainable fashion. He's in the process of writing a textbook about sustainable fashion. And he's also a designer. His menswear line is called Brave Gentleman. So congratulations to Joshua on the upcoming book, on the new season of of menswear for New York City Fashion Week. And then something else that is happening at the other end of the country this coming week is the 15th anniversary of Mercy for Animals. So a shout out out there to Los Angeles, to Nathan Runkle, and all the wonderful people who are part of Mercy for Animals They have really injected a beautiful, youthful energy into the animal rights movement and in this relatively short period of time have established themselves as one of the major forces for good for animals on this planet. So congratulations and happy birthday to Mercy for Animals and many, many more. And right now, right here today, we're going to be doing some celebrating as I introduce you to, although you may well know her already, Nava Atlas. Nava is a long time vegetarian and vegan, and she has written so many beautiful cookbooks. I'll just bet you might have one on your shelf right now. And we are going to be talking today about Nava's brand new book, Plant Power. Transform Your Kitchen, Plate, and Life with More Than 150 Fresh and Flavorful Vegan Recipes. Nava is the creator of VegKitchen.com. She is an absolute phenomenon on YouTube. I'm going to ask later how she did that so you and I can do it too. And she's written, as I said, so many great books, Wild About Greens, Actually makes greens delicious for people who don't naturally think that vegan holiday kitchen, a total staple with the holidays coming up, vegan express and the vegetarian five ingredient gourmet. She's written for veg news, vegetarian times, cooking light, all kinds of other publications. And you know what? She's not just a vegan person who only thinks about vegan things. She's an artist. She's a scholar, and she's a really cool lady. So welcome, Nava Atlas.
4: Oh my gosh, Victoria, my head is spinning. <laughs> Thank you for the intro. It's Very flattering.
3: Well, it's one thing to listen to ourselves being introduced when we get two minutes of all the best stuff we've ever done, and then we have to go back to real life and clean the litter box and deal with what's going on. So they're both true. Oh,
4: absolutely. <laughs> I was say, real life is very
3: messy. <laughs> just other other layers of reality. Well, your new book, as with all your books, it's another beauty, and it's it's huge. The recipes are absolutely exquisite and extraordinary, and some of them are very detailed. It seems to me it must have taken weeks to just come up with a single one. How on earth do you do this?
4: really good question. I'm a a very intuitive cook and really these recipes don't take weeks to come up with because they're very simple. And even though they might look exquisite, thanks to the beautiful photography of Hannah Kaminsky, these are recipes that most people can make when they come home dead tired from work. And that's really what I wanted to accomplish with this book.
3: Well, I think you've done it. I
4: really wanted to dispel that whole, oh, you know, vegan cooking is Exotic and complicated myths. I think that's a really important one to dispel, don't you?
3: Oh, absolutely. I think it, it's bad enough that they think that we're exotic and complicated people, mm-hmm. much less that the food is too. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about the history of this one. You're so prolific, I can barely keep up. But where did Plant Power get started?
4: This is an interesting one. I was actually approached to do it by someone that you and I know. I, I think we shared this editor at Harper One, And I just got an email out of the blue that they have an idea. They want to do a really big vegan lifestyle and, and cookbook. Would I be interested? And things kind of grew from there. And it was a very, very good fit. And um, I think the book that I came up with fit both my own vision as far as what we were saying, that you know vegan food is just really approachable and doable and it gave them what they wanted from their vision as well. So it was a, really a wonderful experience. And what made it really fun was working with Hannah Kaminsky because she took what I thought were just simple, everyday kind of recipes, and she made them look, like you said, so exquisite. She could make an emergency meal look like a feast.
3: Oh, she, She's so gifted. I just had uh, Jenna Hemshaw on the show a few weeks ago with, with her new book, Choosing Raw, and Hannah did the pictures for that as well. And, yeah, she's uh, she, well, She's just one of the many brilliant vegans out there. What can I say? we got a lot of I think smart- we have a
4: lot of... You know what? I'm not being facetious. I think we have a lot of mental energy when we oh. live and eat this way.
3: Now, it would be an interesting discussion as to whether that energy comes from the food that we eat or whether it comes from just being the kind of people who would be interested in an alternative way of living.
4: I think Which do you both. Think? I think it's both, really, and I think that what you were talking about before about all those other wonderful people and that we all do a lot of other things aside from just thinking about being vegans all day or cooking, you know, the fashion people and the, the art people and there's just an engagement with life that I find is a real common core among vegans that I meet and that's why I love being part of this community.
3: Well, I do, too. Yesterday, I went to a birthday party of someone we both know, Karen Ramsey, author of um, Creating Healthy Children. And one of the other people at the party who is not vegan, fascinating gentleman. He's a psychiatrist and he travels the world. He does all these interesting things. And there were a lot of young people who had been homeschooled and some kids who were young and, and who were Homeschooled, and he was asking if making a choice like that is because we don't want our kids exposed to regular American food. And I said, in my case certainly, because my daughter was homeschooled, that it wasn't really about that because she was exposed to American food every time. <laughs> you know, we drove somewhere in the car, but that it was just—it seemed to me that she could get more of the world in that way, and I think. In a way, it's one of the reasons for being vegan that we see this wonderful way of, uh, of, of eating and living and why not try it and see how it works? And it seems to work really well. So we need to pause now for our first break and we'll be back and we will get into the nuts and the bolts and the spices and the seasonings of Plant Power by Nava Atlas. Stay with us. everybody welcome back i'm here talking with nava atlas the author of the brand new book plant power just came out from harper collins just in time for you to get a brand new wonderful cookbook as we enter into the the fall and the holidays around the corner so nava what does this book have for people who want to explore a vegan diet or at least one that's more plant-based that maybe some other books out there don't
4: Well, as the subtitle says, and I have to credit Harper for coming up with this, it starts with Transform Your Kitchen, Plate, and Life. So that's what the book offers. So it's first a guide to transforming your kitchen. I think it would be really hard to decide, okay, I'm going either vegan or more plant-based and just not having a clue how to start. So you really need to start with the kitchen. Uh, So the book guides you as far as what are the best pantry stables, stables, I'm sorry, pantry stables staples to use, and what to have on hand at all times in your fridge, freezer, and pantry. And then it deals with learning new shopping habits and strategies. After that, the transform your plate part is about meal planning and getting your spouse or partner or children on board. And I actually had to interview a bunch of friends and other people about how do they deal with family with mixed dietary preferences or a relationship, because I've been kind of living in a bubble. My husband, the minute we met, he, at that point, I mean, I was a vegetarian, vegan, was hardly on the radar. He was so happy to go vegetarian. When our kids were born, we explained to them in very simple language, we don't eat meat because meat is animals. Most kids don't get that explanation. And so we were always on the same plate, so to speak. As a family. So I had to get some strategies from people who don't have it quite so easy as I do. And then Transform Your Life is about eating and enjoying this wonderful food.
3: Easy to do when the recipes come from you. So you were telling us a little bit about your family, but let's go back some. So how long have you been vegan? How did it all happen in your life?
4: Well, in my life, I remember growing up and just being appalled at seeing a piece of meat on my plate, and, and I was a real problem eater at the time. It, I didn't really correlate meat-animal so much as that I just didn't like how it looked, and sometimes it would actually make me cry. <laughs> then when I grew up and became a young teen, I kind of got the connection that this is meat from an animal. Again, it wasn't so so much of an animal rights thing as a, this looks really gross kind of thing. And I asked my mom if I could first disguise the meat. So I would make things like chili for my brother and myself. But then I got wind of the word vegetarian, Mm -hmm. and I declared myself at about the age of 16, maybe almost 17, which was met by uh, great chagrin by my parents. And my mom, thinking she could put a stop to all of this, said, She's not going to make two different meals for the family. And if I want to eat that way, I'd have to cook for myself. Well, that totally backfired because I just learned how to cook the things that I liked, which, believe me, back then were not gourmet meals. (laughs) We had those kind of dusty health food stores. We didn't have wonderful things like Whole Foods and Trader Joe's or, you know, even a really nice health food store and but i really really enjoyed it and then gradually my family came around and everybody wanted what i was having you know as basic and simple as it was then um as i you know grew i kind of learned more about the health aspects of vegetarianism and my when i met the man who became my husband like i said he was very enthusiastic we raised our kids vegetarian then the age of the internet happened And I started hearing things about dairy that were very disturbing. I thought, well, maybe if we get our dairy products, because, you know, we're all a product of conditioning. What, I'm going to raise kids without giving them milk? It was kind of scary at the time. So we went on this little field trip to a beyond organic dairy farm in upstate New York. And the four of us went. We got a really nice tour from the farmer. And, you know, look at those beautiful spotted cows in the meadow But then we saw the room where the cow was impregnated. Then I saw crates with little calves and I said, what is going on with those? And he said, oh, you know, they're going to either become steer or veal. And when you see that with your own eyes and you see the connection, it was so interesting because the very next day, I mean, my 10-year-old could not go vegan fast enough. He was the first person to declare. And I was so incredibly proud of him because history had repeated itself. I was the youngest in my family, the first to go vegetarian, and he was the first in our family to go vegan. I mean, we all followed suit very quickly. So that's how it happened in a nutshell.
3: Oh, I'm so happy that it did, because then you can just keep writing books. Now, you wrote a lot of vegetarian books. You've been doing this for a while.
4: We will say, let's say, 30 30 years, maybe a little bit more now, you know, as far as when I... But, you know, don't forget, Victoria, I was 12 when I got my first contract, so (laughs) not really. Uh, Oh. Yeah. (laughs) I know. It's been a while, but I, you know, I had my first book published when I was in my 20s. So I have been at this for quite a while. Yeah. I was very fortunate. I really got in at a time where there was pretty much Molly Katzen and Anna Thomas and myself and maybe a couple of other people now as you know there are a zillion vegan cookbooks it's a big market
3: it it's a huge market it, it really amazes me and yet when you get another really fabulous cookbook it never feels like you have too many and yours is unique here some of the things that i like about this book for one thing you talk about what to do with the leftovers which, which is just A huge big deal, especially when it's a new way of eating. But even when it's not, it's like so many recipes are are for families. And, you know, for me, it's just my husband and me. So you tell us what to do with the the leftovers. You also talk about how to complete the meal. A couple of little simple things to go with what we've just made. I mean, I always wish that they would do that in the department stores. Like, oh, I really like the skirt. Well, here's everything. (laughs)
4: <laughs> to go with oh it, you and I both oh my gosh I I I wish that would happen also that is <laughs> that is true but getting back to the you know the culinary angle of that when people are first starting on this way of life it, it is confusing okay you have a recipe well now what what how do you make it into a whole meal and and you know I'm really glad that you brought up the part about leftovers because I always love to make meals that have leftovers, and then kind of repurpose them. So let's talk about chili, for example. You make a big pot of chili. It's great for a couple nights. By the third night, you're kind of wishing, well, should I freeze this or should I do something else with it? So there's a couple of really cool things to do with chili. For example, you could bake a squash and then stuff it with the chili and then top it with some Daiya cheese. Or you can make what's called Cincinnati Chili Mac, which is a traditional American dish where you take spaghetti and you put chili on top of it and it becomes you know a whole new thing. So and then with greens too what do you do with all those leftover greens we can make them into amazing wraps for lunch the next day.
3: This is very practical and I think really, really important. I like also what you did with quinoa. I think quinoa seems so exotic because it starts with Q, but everybody likes to say, oh yeah, I'm eating quinoa now. But most of us only know that you boil it and it doesn't taste like much of anything, but we eat it because it's popular and it starts with Q, But what you do is tell us actually what we can do once we've cooked the quinoa. You say we can use it as a bed for bean or vegetable dishes in place of rice. We can use it to make pilafs with nuts and dried fruits, which can then be served as side dishes or stuffings for vegetables. We can make tabbouleh style salads with it with crisp fresh vegetables, tomatoes, and herbs, or we can use it plain cooked in vegetable broth instead of water as a nutrition-boosting side dish. I mean, my whole quinoa intelligence has just increased exponentially, but that's the kind of thing that you have all through this book. This is really an exceptional book. It's way more than a cookbook.
4: Oh, thank you. And I really try to position it that as way more than a cookbook. You know, just all the practical tips you need to make your life not just easy but really delicious. And getting back to quinoa, also, I have a lot of make-ahead tips, and that's one of my personal favorites. I like to have a portion of cooked quinoa in the fridge. As easy it is to cook it, and as quick, it only takes fifteen minutes to cook. I mean, but when you get into the kitchen at you know, whatever it is, six fifteen, seven o'clock. It's really nice to have that already done. And then you have, like you said, all those array of choices that you can make, which then become like a 10-minute project at best. If you want to make a salad or a pilaf, it's so quick and easy once you have that or any kind of grain cooked and ready in the fridge.
3: So, Nava, as I listen to you and you have such an understanding of food, you're so comfortable with it, tell us about your kitchen. What does it look like? What's in it? Well, you know,
4: I've always prided myself on having a, you know, I don't know if I want to say average kitchen, but something that's not so, like so far from the we, people's norm that I don't understand what it is to be an average cook. I think that's really important. And I also think it's really important to know that people sometimes can't get into the kitchen till six or seven. And I have, as you know, many other careers, and so that's worked really well for me to really... Identify with the average cook. I have a nice kitchen. It's a country kitchen. It's uh, you know I have a little pantry, and I, I really do sort of follow my own rules as far as stocking the pantry because that is so much of what makes meal making easy is just having the ingredients on hand and not scrambling each time like oh my gosh what I'm what am I going to make? I think that's one of the pitfalls, uh, and, and one of the things I talk about in the book too is that. For people who don't have time to do a lot of make-aheads, at least plan two or three meals ahead just so you know what you want to make that week and that you have the ingredients because getting home, feeling really tired, having the kids crying, having had a stressful day, opening in the fridge and having no clue what you, you know, want to make, let alone what you feel like eating, is what makes people not eat well, I think, or, or reach for the takeout drawer.
3: So what does somebody do, Nava, who's maybe not real adventurous about cooking, who looks at a recipe and they have everything except one ingredient? The one for me is usually red bell pepper. My husband doesn't like peppers, and I guess I must not like them very much because unless I'm making a recipe, it's just not something on our regular shopping list. And I just cannot tell you how many times I've looked at a recipe and thought, darn. I could so make that except for the red bell pepper. So what do you do when there's just one thing missing? Well,
4: you either leave it out or you substitute it. And I have to tell you, Victoria, I get email a lot from readers or comments on Veg Kitchen saying, oh, I made this, but I didn't have this, so I made it with that. But by the the time they finish telling me about all the substitutions, it almost sounds like a completely different recipe, but it gives them a template and an idea. And so if you don't like something, you leave it out. Or let's say you don't like red bell peppers, put in zucchini or broccoli. Uh, You know, the point is that the recipe has to taste good to the cook. And mine, I think, are again, I really try to make them eminently flexible. It's not if you leave something out or if you don't do the step exactly, it's going to be a disaster. I really like them to be, you know, I, I say a good recipe is one that you can mess with and it still comes out really good.
3: Oh, you just bring so much ease to this topic. And I guess it is true, especially with plant-based food, that unless you're baking and have to be precise, you really don't have to be all that precise. You can just put in some, which is such a lovely measure.
4: Exactly. And, you know, the, the point is it has to taste good to that cook and their family or whoever they're feeding. Um, You know, I make food that really tastes good to my palate, but if somebody, I I don't like super spicy food, so if somebody wants a particular dish spicier, that's up to them, and it'll still be good. It'll be even better because it'll be, be suitable for their palate.
3: Hmm, interesting. Now, as I look through your book, there are some things about it that are different. Most cookbooks have soups and salads and main dishes, but you seem to have your your recipes in in themes. You've got the pizza and pasta section, and the Asian Express and tortilla specialties. That's really unique. Where did that come from?
4: No, that, that's unique to this book. I don't think I've ever actually done anything quite like this. And what I wanted to convey with that is that you can bring the same enthusiasm to your home meals and your home meal planning that you do when you're going out to eat. So when you're going out to eat, you say, well, what do I feel like tonight? Oh, I think I feel like going out for some Asian food, or I feel like you know going out for some Mexican, or I really just want uh, you know some soup with some bread tonight. You can do that at home too. So this gives cooks um, recipes and menus based on, sort of styles of meals that have become very popular in the plant-based world. Again, it gives them what I call a new paradigm of the plate. So I I think that really, it really helps me too, as far as, you know, you're you're going with seasonality, you're going with what you feel like having, it's not an obligation, it's not a chore. I really wanted to bring a lot of joy to this endeavor, so I hope I've succeeded with that.
3: Oh, I think you've succeeded yet again. I mean, you succeeded with the green stuff when you did Wild About Greens. You succeeded with what to take to the family Thanksgiving dinner with Vegan Holiday Kitchen. So I would say you're three for three in just the last three. So congratulations on all that. Now, last night, I was a guest on a radio show uh, out in Milwaukee, and one of the callers was very concerned about the cost of things, about, he said, I try organic vegetables and they cost so much that if I was vegetarian and that was all I ate, I just couldn't do it. Now, we know that we eat more than just vegetables, but what do you do about the price, the time-consuming myth, and all the rest?
4: You know, so I I do hear people say about vegan food, and it sort of makes me uh, chuckle a little bit, that I, I'm not sure I can get vegan food where I live, and I remind them that vegan food is food. <laughs> it's really almost the most elemental food. So we have vegetables and fruits. We have the beans and peas and lentils and the whole grains. Now the foundational foods like the beans, lentils, whole grains. Those are so inexpensive when you buy, especially when you buy them in bulk. As far as produce, that can be a little bit pricey, but in Plant power. I also have a list of what the environmental working group calls the dirty dozen and the clean 15, which means the dirty dozen are the types of fruits and vegetables that they recommend you get in organic form because they have a lot of pesticide. Uh, the clean 15 are, and clean 15 and beyond, these are fruits and vegetables that you can buy. You don't have to be as concerned about buying them in organic form because they don't they aren't grown with a lot of pesticides. So you can save some money there. As far as the other foods, yeah, I don't know. There was a part two to that question,
3: I I believe. Oh, I think I was just wanting you to answer every question on earth about the (laughs) time-consuming and complicated part two.
4: Oh, yeah. You know, I I think that's another myth. I mean, I, I don't really... I think that's just a myth and almost like a trope. I don't think that creating a meal that doesn't have meat in it is necessarily harder or more time-consuming. I think that, I don't know how that myth grew, but it's simply not true. I have, you know, I've done books, whole books, about recipes and meals that can be done in 30 minutes or less. I have recipes that can be done in 20 minutes. It's just a matter of will and wanting to believe it and learning how to do it, doing it once or twice. It becomes... I really want to encourage people to not do things exactly as I do, but develop a, you know, sort of a second nature about this and some confidence in the kitchen.
3: You know, I think it's interesting about both the cost and the time. To eat well is going to cost a little money and take a little time. So you say you have recipes that can be done in 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I think we're coming up against people who, who want, three minutes or or two minutes because that's how long it takes at McDonald's. So there seems to be an education factor too. And you're certainly providing that in plant power and also on your wonderful website, VegKitchen.com. If you have not explored VegKitchen, oh, you must do that. And tell us quickly before break your Facebook page. Oh, it's
4: Facebook.com slash VegKitchen.
3: You are well-branded. we to
4: talk about that a little bit, yes.
3: We, we will. Veg Kitchen all around the place. And after these messages, we'll be back with more delicious conversation with Nava Atlas. Stay with us.
0: Have you asked your soul what it wants? Or are you so busy meeting the needs of everyone else? Family, friends children, bosses, that you haven't checked in with the part of you that matters most? Janet Connor asked this question and received an answer. Your soul wants five things. That's it. Five things. Your soul wants to connect with Source, commit to values, serve a purpose, express itself creatively, and last, it longs to create a beautiful, abundant life. Janet Conner teaches five wisdom habits that meet those needs. You can take each course separately or register for the complete Your Soul Wants Five Things series and receive $1,000 in bonuses for free. Visit JanetConnor.com and explore all five courses in her signature series, Your Soul Wants Five Things. Your soul will thank you.
2: brave
0: never lose
1: how is life working for you would it be okay with you if life got easier simpler yet more meaningful and vibrant join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for vibrant living each week Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: To do what we secretly dream.
2: Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran.
3: Welcome back, everybody, and a special thanks to the good people of Unity Online Radio for hosting the Main Street Vegan Show and so much other wonderful programming to help the world wake up. If you would like to support the ministry of Unity Online Radio, just please go to their website, click on Donate, and uh, help promote all this wonderful work that's coming from out there in the Midwest, and reaching all across the globe. I'm here today talking with Nava Atlas. Her latest book is Plant Power, Transform Your Kitchen, Plate, and Life with More Than 150 Fresh and Flavorful Vegan Recipes. So, Nava, just before the break, we gave your Facebook handle, which is is the same as your website. It is Veg Kitchen. And you, in the past year or two, have just gone crazy on Facebook. What did you do? How did it happen for your fellow vegans out there to walk in your footsteps?
4: Well, it's funny because I remember just about a year ago, my assistant emailed me when we got to 15,000. She was so excited we did it and then for some reason it really just went crazy after that but you know there's not a lot of great magic I don't know why but we decided to just post really consistently four times a day at specific times a day and that seemed to do it you know I don't know if there's those particular times were good or just the fact that it was four times but you know Victoria Facebook gives and then Facebook takes away So now we're so excited because we're you know over 325,000 and Facebook's algorithm has changed where they really don't serve posts to very many people at once because they want you to boost posts. That's so. Listen, Facebook is a business and they also need and want to make money. It is really nice to know that that fan base is there. But you know another tip, and this is I think very important. It's really not just the fact that we we're posting consistently. A lot of social media, as you know, is, hey, look at me. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. And I think we really made this much more reader-centric. It was The thinking was, here's something you can do. Here's something that will make your life easier. So it wasn't about you know me or about Veg Kitchen or about my books or about my recipes. It was really my, like, this is for you. This is really something that you can use to the reader.
3: That is so lovely, and this must be a theme from my day. I was at the gym this morning, and I walked up to a woman to read her T-shirt, and what it said was, I won't stop till you're inspired. And this was something that was done by one of the trainers here at the Equinox uh, Health Clubs in New York City. I don't remember his name, but I do remember, I won't stop till you're inspired. And I really think that's your philosophy. You really care about your readers and your followers. And that shows, and you know, what goes around comes around. And there you are, 350,000 Facebook devotees. That's pretty fabulous.
4: Uh, you know, I can't reach them uh, all at a t- at the same time, but that's okay. Some people see it some days. Some people see it other days. And, you know, the feedback is very good. The feedback is, hey, this is a great idea. I wouldn't have thought of it. Thanks for sharing it.
3: And oh, that's so it wonderful. It is
4: really nice. It's very gratifying.
3: It, that is for sure. Now, what a lot of people who read your blog, go to your site, and use your recipes may not be aware of is that you really are a renaissance woman. I mean, you're an artist, and you're a writer's writer. Tell us about some of the other things going on. Well, I I was actually trained
4: as a graphic designer, illustrator, and gra- and drafts person. That's my th- that's my college work, both my undergrad and my master's degree. So I I feel like I am an artist at heart. Food is actually a really great artistic medium. It is very creative, and it's very relaxing. But um, I do work. My personal work has evolved to become about social justice issues, about uh, gender issues, bias, race. My most recent limited edition book and installation is called Why You Can't Get Married, an Unwedding Album, in which I compare the language that was used to oppose interracial marriage in generations past with language from court documents and political pronouncements to oppose same-sex marriage, in the present, and guess what? It's almost exactly the same. And my next limited edition and installation project is really interesting and very gratifying because it really ties in with the vegan movement. I'm doing a project called Deconstructing Elsie, and it started as a way to... You know, my work, you've seen some of my work, I I use like a lot of irony and humor in it because it helps people to look at difficult subjects without running away. (laughs) So Deconstructing Elsie, I took old Elsie the Cow ads and I altered them to comment on the dark side of the dairy industry. But what I discovered through doing this is that these ads are just so incredibly sexist and misogynistic this project is going to be part of a show next year at the National Museum of Animals and Society in L.A. Are you familiar with it, Victoria?
3: I am, yes.
4: Yeah. So this is a, proje- uh, a show that honors Carol J. Adams. Oh, the wonderful. The show is going to be called The Sexual Politics of Meat. So it's myself and 14 other artists, and the show hopefully will travel from there. So this is a really a great place for my beliefs about animals and my artistic endeavors to, uh, you know, to kind of all coalesce. It's, it's really a lot of fun and very gratifying.
3: So how many hours are in your day? Those of us with 24, 24. couldn't do what you do.
4: <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I have to say I do work a lot, and I do work really long hours, and I am very diligent, but I really like everything that I do, so it doesn't feel like a chore. I I just enjoy thinking, and I enjoy making things, I enjoy cooking, I enjoy drawing. So I I feel just so fortunate, just really, really lucky that I can do all of this and actually, you know, piece together a living as well.
3: It is. It's pretty wonderful. (laughs) I I just admire you. you. You are one of my life mentors, as well as a culinary mentor. So... You have a chair at a university. Tell You have something cool. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's
4: not a chair. Otherwise, I really wouldn't have any time in my life. Uh, Duke University has a permanent archive of my papers. So every time I create like a pile of stuff, which I'm actually looking at in my office right now, I think, oh, I'll just put it in a box and send it to Duke, which is very cool. Because people usually don't know what to do with their pileups it was really it was really unexpected. it was very flattering. It came about because they- they uh started to collect my artist books in limited editions, and it just kind of grew from there so yes, yeah, so if you go to Duke University, their libraries and you look up my name, you'll see you know a whole slew of you know boxes. there's probably like twelve boxes of my stuff. I call it my garbage <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> So if you ever want to do a Ph.D. about my work, you can. You you have to travel to Duke.
3: <laughs> well, that sounds fun. I've always been fascinated by Duke. You know, they came up with that rice diet back in the 1970s. Oh, really? oh. And I was just reminded of that recently. We had Dr. Joel Kahn, the cardiologist from Wayne State University, on the show. And he was saying that so often... Just some kind of change in the diet can really improve the diet because those people at Duke were eating white rice and (laughs) doing really well. So whatever they were doing was better than what they'd been doing before. So Nava, what projects near and dear to your heart are on the horizon? Well, I would say that
4: that project, the the L C project, it is really at press now. And when I talk about at press, we're talking about a very small edition. I, I I just um it was very hard to do because of the research. I had to really delve into what happens with the baby calves and everything. But I think, you know, if people see this and I have so many well meaning vegetarian friends who really don't understand that You know, the dairy industry is almost more harmful. Well, let's not say almost more harmful. It's more harmful to the animal. I just had a conversation with one of my loveliest friends who said she still feels good about eating yogurt and cheese because at least the animal isn't harmed. And I said, that is just so far from the truth. And so if educated people believe that, other people aren't even thinking about it. I really want you know I really enjoy the, using my artwork to enlighten and not in a way that like, hits people over the head, but that makes them think and maybe shifts their para, you know their their usual paradigms of thinking. I've also been working on a oh gosh I don't even know if we should get into this but I've been working on a graphic biography dual biography for two years uh, I'm sorry four years and uh, I'm hoping that I can finish it at some point during my lifetime.
3: Are you going to tell us of whom these biographies chronicle the, the, it's not it's two people who have been
4: forgotten by history
3: Ooh. So, and you
4: know I probably shouldn't say anything else okay it's, it's a really fascinating story, and it I keep wanting to stop doing it, and something keeps pulling me back. It really has kind of all the elements that I'm really interested in social justice, food and cooking. <laughs> Uh, civil rights history so yeah i'm I'm actually really a complete nerd
3: well you you do it very well. <laughs> <laughs> In I my next life, very I want well. to be nerdy like you. This must be the time for for secrets. The astrologers would probably tell us Scorpio is doing something. Because yesterday at the birthday party that I attended, because Karen Ramsey is a raw food person, there were a lot of raw fooders there. And one of the gentlemen is a man who is older than I am. He has white hair, and, and I, I know that he's older than I am and he's going to be on the cover of the Atlantic Monthly in October and it's their longevity issue and they chose him for the cover because he was willing to do something that he said no one over 25 would do so that is another mystery who you're writing about oh, we don't know what that is yet I We do don't not- know what
4: people are over 25 20- hmm that's interesting. Thinking, uh, now you've got me really curious. Trapeze, I think you probably sold a lot of copies of Atlantic Monthly just by saying that right now. Well,
3: right. I know I'm going to be buying my first copy of Atlantic Monthly since I was probably 22 and carried it around to look intellectual. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so it's it's good to get uh, senior raw vegans on the cover of one's magazine.
4: So that's awesome, really.
3: In in the midst of all that you do, Nava, you're best known, I believe, for your cookbooks. You certainly have a lot of them. So for people who would like to write a cookbook of their own, what does it take? What would you advise someone?
4: You know, writing a cookbook is not as easy as it might seem. And I forgot which author, one of these really literary authors said, um, it's it's just as much work to write a cookbook as it is to write Moby Dick, so you might as well write Moby Dick. <laughs> and I thought that was really great um, because it, it's just a bear when it comes to the editing. Oh, I'm sorry to use an animal metaphor, but it really, the editing of a cookbook is really labor-intensive because you start out saying, you know, one tablespoon of olive oil in January of... One year, and then by the time you're done with this, one or two years later, you're, you know, you're using the the abbreviation, you know, TBSP. Then you have to go through the whole thing again and make sure everything is consistent. I think that writing a good cookbook is also good writing. People don't realize that. That's what makes a cookbook compelling. You're each recipe almost is a story. And so, and then the stories you tell around it, and, you know, oh, my family enjoyed this because we did this together. That's what connects the cookbook author with the readers. It's not just so much, you know, what goes into it and how to do it. So I think it's those you know, little stories that make it a, a really good, compelling read. And a lot of people do say they take cookbooks to bed to read like novels. So they should oh, be I do that. also good writing. Yeah, they should be good writing far, you know, as well as good recipes. So, you know, it does, it takes a lot. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's, it's not the hardest job in the world either. Trust me on that. But it's just something that also needs to be done with great love and care, like any other piece of writing. I'm not sure if I really fully answered the question.
3: No, I think you answered it beautifully. I think you're saying, don't jump in, But as I have heard people, actors, say to young actors, absolutely do not do this unless you can't do anything else. So maybe that's how it is for writing a cookbook as well. If you've got the passion, you have to do it. So how can our listeners connect with you?
4: A lot of ways people can connect with me. First of all, by going to VegKitchen.com, you can connect with me that via email, you can connect with me to all my social media sites. If you are a nerd like me, you can go to my other site, LiteraryLadiesGuide.com, which is all about literature. My art website is NavaAtlasArt.com. I don't think I left anything out. Basically, you can get in touch with me in any many forms through. VegKitchen.com. All my social media icons and my contact form are right up there.
3: You say that so calmly as if you're not juggling a million things. So finally... I I'm
4: exhausted.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, it comes across as calm. So that's, that's yeah, good. Yeah, that's, I try. Yeah. So in our last minute, tell us your very, very favorite recipe from Plant Power.
4: Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. And it's funny because, you know, it's so hard for me to choose a favorite recipe. And I think maybe the best I can do is tell you what my favorite chapter is. Okay. Because I don't know that I can really narrow it down to just one recipe. But I really like Asian Express. And the reason I I love making Asian-style food at home is because when you go out and have it, it's really yummy, but it feels very heavy somehow and oily. And so I love to recreate those at home because it has vegetables, tofu, noodles, all kinds of really delicious sauces. And you would just not believe how easy it is to recreate those at home. So I'm going to give you my favorite chapter. I don't know that I can do a favorite recipe. Is that okay. good enough, Victoria?
3: <laughs> that's that's good enough. And it's interesting what you say about the Asian restaurants. When I traveled in China, I, I thought routinely, wait a minute, this isn't Chinese food. <laughs> It was the wonderful vegetables and the wonderful ingredients, but done in in a much more um, culinary-light way. Well, Nava, thank you so much. Thank you for this book, for all the work that you do in the world. To listeners, I hope that those of you who didn't yet know Nava are as happy to have made her acquaintance as I am to have had it for over 20 years. To everybody out there, have a wonderful day. God bless you, and eat your veggies.
0: Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on these words from Reverend Joan Gattuso. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies, either minuscule or outrageous, for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. A noble being will always tell the truth. Do you? Begin now with the first step of simply noticing if you do tell the truth immediately or if your first instinct is to alter the facts a bit. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened.
2: This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity.
0: If I were brave, I'd walk the Where fools and dreamers dare to tread And never lose faith
1: How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests we'll share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant is there something in your life you'd like help with a dream you'd like to achieve a relationship you'd like to improve call into the show toll free for coaching with carla that's vibrant living life coaching with carla tuesdays at 3 p.m central on unity online radio the voice of an awakening world
0: Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.